Um, so my name is uh, Angel Kyoto Williams. I'm going to fuss with this a little bit. I'm really happy to be home. Uh, I'm a New Yorker, uh, which means a couple of things. Is one is that I'm really comfortable here. I live in the Bay Area, uh, but as a New Yorker, a I'm really comfortable here, and b I'm I'm prone to be probably more coarse than most teachers are. <laughs> and and the Zen thing to boot. Um, The Zen tradition is not known for its um, soft speech. <laughs> you okay? You're gonna just okay. I might. So I, I've actually um, been here before a couple times, and I'm really happy also to be back and, and just really to see you all. Um, I've had the really a lovely opportunity, it just happened this way, um, to do sort of a mini tour um, while I've been in, in New York in the last week and a half, and so I've visited a Zen center um, and off, also a mindfulness community, and now an insight community, and it's really a it's really a pleasure. It's um, there's a way in which things change, and it's only when you go back to um, your origins, you know, a place that you're familiar with, that you can really see how it has changed. And living in the Bay Area, it's kind of, um, well, part of the reason that I moved to the Bay Area is because Dharma was so thick there. It felt like it, like it was kind of where it was happening. And not that it wasn't happening here, um, but, you know, they don't have a lot to do at night, so. <laughs> so. People gathered more. It was a little easier to gather people more more readily, um, you know, for something like sitting still. And so it's really a pleasure to come back and see in a multiplicity of communities the growth and evolution of. Uh, the practice of the Dharma. Um, it's really one of those things that it's hard to have imagined as, as I grew up that it would ever look this way. Um, and particularly as I look about the room, it's hard to imagine it would ever look this way. And I feel like in many ways that um, my main, um, you know how you get like a rock in your shoe and it's just that thing that sort of 
agitates you, it's a little irritating, kind of everything else about the walk is lovely. The trees are beautiful and bountiful and green and rich and the sky is open and the sun is warm but not too sweaty making. But there's that little rock in your shoe, that little pebble in your shoe. And for me, in my practice and my Dharma life, um, the trees have been rich and the sky open and the sun warm and the pebble in my shoe had been um, the lack of inclusivity, apparent inclusivity in Dharma communities, in sanghas. Um, I could remember walking into places, you know, we all know that place when you start off in practice and you're just trying to figure out how you're going to make this thing fit because it's a little foreign, you know, a little strange. It's new for our society, for American society. It's new... um, and it's certainly now at, its, at a place in which it's leaving the fringe, uh, which is really an interesting opportunity for us all. Uh, it's still a little fringy, especially the Zen people are fringy. Um, but mindfulness, um, and I think, you know, if I may say so, both um, the mindfulness community of Thich Nhat Hanh and Insight, um, I think, will lead the way in terms of a creating a very, very wide door of access to Dharma teachings um, because there's less, you know, trappings and stuff. Not, you know, y'all don't look weird. You might be weird, but you don't, <laughs> you don't look it. It actually kind of looks not very different than an AA meeting or something. <laughs> so, it's very comfortable and familiar. So this is good news. Uh, this is good news that this kind of shift is occurring. And like most... Um, small irritations that we have. Uh, I continue to feel impatience, even as that irritation is beginning to soften, and uh, it's not so stingy. I still feel an impatience about getting that rock out of my shoe. And I'll, I'll, I'll say a little bit about why that is. Uh, I have, um, well, where to begin? We, we're in, a, we're in an, um, an amazing transition um, in which we, um, as a community as a network, actually, right? It's more than just a community, it's a network of communities. Um, 
are coming into our own at a time in um, American society in which marginalizations of all kinds are really on our minds. We're really grappling with our sense of what it means to actually be the American society, the, the, the dream that was always promised. And I think this is really the first time we're taking that on in, in, a, in a kind of serious way, you know, really since um, the civil rights movement. And uh, as we know, for all of the benefits and the gains that were made then, there were um, far too many stones left unturned, far too many people that were left behind in terms of that conversation. And it takes um, evolution takes it's sort of this thing that happens slowly, slowly, and, and there's always things that are shifting and changing, right? There's, there's always some kind of changing, and you know, from the outside it looks like two steps forward, one step back, um, particularly if you're on the... Speak louder too. Is that will help? That help? Okay. My magic powers. Of course, I didn't know twenty minutes were set. Okay. Yeah. Um, so particularly when you are on the short end of that stick, um, evolution feels like it's happening very slowly, and then there are these sudden leaps forward. Right, that's how all of evolution occurs, is sudden leaps forward. And they're a result of a confluence of different um, energies, you know, come together. And without going into that, you know, this is a this is a time. We're we're at a we're at a time, we're at a moment. Um, and I don't I said this the other day to the mindfulness community, I don't mean to sort of specialize the Buddhist community um, in some, you know, precious way. Uh, but one of the things that the Dharma teachings has available to it is, as is true in terms of most evolutionary leaps forward, it, it has the right thing to say about what's going on at this particular moment. And so uh, the Buddha, we have all these traditions and all these different ways and all these permutations between and within and amongst our communities. A lot of people aren't even claiming being Buddhist, myself being ordained, and one of those, I'm kind of like the anti-Buddhist. And um, But there are some pretty cross-the-board agreements within, amongst all these different permutations, which I think are healthy permutations. Um, 
they were healthy when they existed in different countries and different regions, and they are um, healthy to have here. There is beauty and richness in all these different teachings, and uh, this is a society unlike anything that the Buddhist teachings have been in, in terms of just the sheer diversity of cultures. There may have been places in which there were different people of uh, different classes and uh, colors, but that in one place, the Dharma is meeting, meeting people that are literally from different <coughs> cultures, and yet trying to share a, something of also a simultaneous collective culture is, um, well, it's just, you know, it's the first time that, that this has occurred in this way. And so quickly, uh, usually the Dharma teachings is, takes up like, you know, well over a hundred years to gather these numbers. And you know, there's all sorts of things that are impacting that, social media and communications and the ability for people to communicate with one another. And basically we're chatty, you know, on top of it all. And so we tell a friend and they tell two friends and so on and so on. Um, the shift, um, I would say, towards embracing more and more uh, non-monastics uh, has also has a lot to do with it. And so what we're doing here is we are um, seeding a culture with the, the practice of meditation in a way that has also not been true historically of, of the Buddha Dharma. Uh, there are other practices that tend to be the more um, popular practices. Uh, this is a sort of odd occurrence um, the, the practice that is has largely been held in the bosom of monastics and it's been the sort of the job and the path of monastics to hold down meditation practice as the central aspect of what is what is done and the uh, larger sangha and communities responsibility was to uphold and, and be of support to that monastic community so uh, we don't have that either, right? So there are good things and challenging things both present, right? The light and the shadow of all of these uh, shifts and changes that we have here. I, without... Um, suggesting in any way that there is, because I, I don't believe that, that there is any lesser value to the array of other practices. I think that um, for many reasons, for this society at this time, right, med meditation, mindfulness are the right thing at the right time. Uh, further, and I hope that they don't get divorced 
from mindfulness, the core teachings shared by Dharma practitioners, I won't even fixate on Buddha per se, uh, though this was his teaching, is fundamentally that um, there's suffering, right? that we're, life is characterized by the nature of that pebble in your shoe. When you don't have one, you'll have another, <laughs> or two that whether small or great, dukkha is something that permeates and is persistent in our experience as sentient beings, as creation, as human beings. And he also taught that there, it was possible to be liberated from that suffering. And that's the good news. And um, I imagine that most of us know here, unless you're completely new to the teachings, that most of us know those fundamental things, um, as well as the teaching of interconnectedness. Now, as I came up, the whole suffering thing was kind of touch and go. You know, people were like, mm, I don't know you all, you Buddhists with the whole suffering. It's kind of a downer. <laughs> Life is suffering. Hmm. That's not really something I wanted to, like, you know, run away with and be like, yeah, so mom, you know, you know what the Buddha teaches? Life is suffering. You want to come practice with me? Um, it wasn't flying well <laughs> for a while. And as I remember my sort of coming up in, in Buddhist practice, that's what I actually heard most often. Is that true for a lot of people, right? that life is suffering? That's probably the thing that I heard first and foremost. And it was sort of like we ran out of attention span before we got to the whole like liberation thing. <laughs> And so we never really got to hear that. But so it's great that now liberation has kind of lifted up and we hear that simultaneously with there is suffering and it is possible to be liberated from that suffering. And that's great because at least there's some, you know, when they say like you give a criticism, like you say, the, you say a bad thing, you say a good thing, you gotta mix it up a little bit, otherwise people kind of run out the door. Um, and I feel like as a sort of wide community, we're getting that better, right? That we are um, able to step forward and, um, and say, yeah, there is a possibility of liberation from that suffering. The other thing that the Buddha taught that is shared as an understanding throughout the traditions is that we are all interconnected. That we are all interconnected. And I would say that now, single-handedly, that is the most important teaching. And more importantly, 
that it's not separate from the first two. It's all one thing. That our liberation from that suffering depends upon our recognition of our interconnectedness. Our liberation from not only individual, uh, excuse me, not only collective, but individual suffering is absolutely inextricably linked to our awareness and further our practice of our awareness of interconnectedness. Now here's the thing, one of the primary distinctions that um, I would say imbues the Buddhist teachings with a distinction, not, not entirely exclusive, but it, it is distinct, is the nature of practice embedded into the teachings. Right? That it's not premised on belief. It is not premised on belief. At every turn, the teachings of the Dharma, the teachings of the Buddha, are pointing us towards, go find out yourself. Like the lotto, you have to be in it to win it. (laughs) In fact, which is why I think of myself as the anti-Buddhist, that you can pretty much apply all of the Buddha's teachings without actually having a belief in Buddha at all or Buddhism or calling yourself a Buddhist no one cares what's important is that you practice my knowing my experience my um, time on the cushion is not yours. And no matter how much time I spend here, it will not convey to you liberation from your suffering.
Likewise, no amount of belief and clinging to the idea of Buddha's teaching or even clinging to meditation practice without practicing and embodying interconnectedness will liberate you from your suffering. So my intention uh, tonight was to talk about love and justice <laughs> and effectively I just did the potential for us as a community or a non-community to express the love, the wisdom, the compassion that is the teachings of the Buddha, that is the Buddha Dharma, is inextricably linked to the practice of justice. It is not possible It is not possible for us to imagine that we have a wholesome, integral practice unto ourselves if in this context, maybe someplace else, I don't know, in the context of this time, in this society, in this place that we find ourselves in, it is not possible for us to express ourselves in integrity in terms of the teachings without fervently pursuing justice in all its forms because without justice there is no love. When justice is absent, love is absent. And when love is absent, justice is absent. Thankfully, when interconnectedness is realized, so is justice. When interconnectedness is realized, it is, it is love. It is love. It's not, it doesn't bring about love because that suggests separation. Interconnectedness is no separation. 
No separation is love. Now, I know that oftentimes we can sort of esotericize the teachings in some way that allows the language of no separation and emptiness and, you know, we could go on, uh, to hover above us and outside somewhere where we confer upon texts and quote chapters and verses and between the Buddha and then the people that came along after it and decided to write down what he had to say there's lots of text and there's lots of things to be said and there's lots of things to be studied But your everyday dharma is simply to practice love. Not love in the sense of, you know, just going to come over there and hug you. But uh, love as in, I see you. And I'm willing to see you. And when I find those places in myself in which I'm not willing to see you, I go and I practice with that. Because fundamentally, this is what the Buddha not taught, but knew, embodied, expressed, pointed away towards, and other people found it for themselves. They found it for themselves because they practiced it. And without that, we're wasting time on little cushions with yet another form of temporary distraction, with yet another form of applying some salve to our pervasive confusion, hoping that it's going to alleviate it in some way. But really, casting off the opportunity to walk fully through the door of liberation, uh, casting off that opportunity and giving it away to the thin unrealistic realm of mere belief. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm not saying that belief is not important because we need a, right? We need a motivation. We need something that magnetizes us towards putting effort into something to begin with. And, and thus the teachings. Because if it were as simple as, hey, go do it, uh, you know, <laughs> we'd all be done. We take the teachings as a means by which to hone in to the very essence and parcel out those things that get in the way and cause further confusion. Because I don't know about you, but I can make almost anything my neuroses given the right conditions. Thus, even the path that promises liberation can be the crux of our suffering. And for far too long, American sanghas have been doing that. It's not um, surprising. I was talking to a very dear friend before I got here, and you know how you say something and it sort of strikes you like, oh, that's actually true. (laughs) Um, We have had more practice, deeper, longer, for generations of racism and exclusivity in this culture than we have had the practice of the Dharma. We've been practicing ways of being that are antithetical to the teachings for much longer for much, much longer, lifetimes, lifetimes. Not merely as individuals, but as a society, as a collective, a culture, right? The collection of our habits is what a culture is. Our collective habits have been habits that are antithetical to the teachings of the Dharma. So it makes sense that we would try to take those teachings and fit them in to our neuroses, i.e. habits, i.e. our culture, so that for a while we repeated the same kinds and forms of subtle and coarse injustices. within our communities, within our teachings, within our hearts.
where there's nothing like awareness. And I feel so grateful to be in recognition that I could not have had this conversation in the same way 10 years ago. Probably not five. There was a different um, energetic. It wasn't the right um, space, which is not to say that I shut up about it, because apparently I didn't. But we are in a place, we are at a precipice in which the opportunity for us to not go out and do something on behalf of some kind of others, right, that need our help or our support or to be invited into our communities, but rather we are in a place in which we are now uh, strengthened and rooted enough to be bold about truly practicing the Dharma as it has been given. It's an extraordinary opportunity. That's an extraordinary opportunity for all of us. And I dare say that, uh, as I intimated in the beginning of the I feel so sure that it is communities such as your own that are going to lead the way, that have the greatest opportunity to lead the way. Uh, so much so that I almost... Um, hold a sort of a mild sense of wistfulness about it, you know. Like, oh, yeah. Those are the communities, those um, formulations of the Buddhist teachings and the way of practicing are going to be the ones that are most readily accessible to the widest number of people. You just have to be, you know, cuckoo <laughs> to not see that. <laughs> we don't often acknowledge it, but let's just say it plain. And I think that um, a community Thank you. Uh, 
based in one of the most um, richly varied. I've become um, resistant to using the word diverse. Uh, richly varied, broad, beautiful uh, in its differentiation and permutations cities in the world. Um, a community such as your own that has uh, clearly already done a good amount of work in terms of shifting things. Yeah, you have an you you have a, a special responsibility as a model as a, as a place in which the potential for what the dharma has to offer in all of its iterations all people I hope that uh, in whatever way each of you as individuals may have not um, felt completely clear that it's your business to do so, at the very least, leave this evening clear that it is. That if you had questions as to whether the practice of the Dharma was somehow separate from justice. That that idea is, has been cast away. That if you wondered for one second if fully embodied love and liberation were in any way distinct from what you do here, from what you do at home, from what you do hopefully on the trains and the buses. From your own individual search for peace But now you know they're not. Thank you. Yeah, if you don't mind, I'd like to ring your bell. I, I know it's probably like the 11th precept, and I took 10 of them. The 11th one is probably, thou shalt not cover that neighbor's bell, but I love this <laughs> bell. <laughs> Thank you.
we have time for questions and answer period. If anyone would like to ask Reverend Angel a question. Do you do this informally? You just. If anyone wants to raise their hand, I'll pass along the mic. One moment. Thank you so much for your talk. Thank you. Would you say your name before you begin, please? Uh, Jesse. Hi, Jesse. So my question is, um, or my request is, could you please explain and parse exactly how and why it is that you see it that where there is no justice, there is no love, and where there is no love, there is no justice, or where there is love, there is necessarily justice, and where there is justice, there is seemingly always necessarily love, as you said. Um, maybe I'll take a back door into it. Uh, so the, the lack of um, justice is, well, one, ha one would have to say what is justice, yeah. Uh, justice is merely unthwarted opportunity to express oneself fully. It's unthwarted, which doesn't mean that everyone will be able to get wherever it is that they want, but that there aren't structures that are set about to thwart that opportunity, that we each have the right to fully express our, our nature, our, our self-nature. Injustice arises when there is an effort, uh, whether uh, overt or insidious, to thwart that expression. The inclination for injustice arises out of the terrible, terrible misunderstanding or shall I say the terrible, terrible confusion that they're, that things are separate. So the belief that we are somehow separate creates the conditions in which just injustice can thrive. And injustice thrives because there is no love or there is insufficient love right, in the 
we can compartmentalize love, you know, all day long. There's insufficient love because there's separation. So separation is a lack of a full expression of love. Does that make sense? Say your name again, please. My name is Sacred. Thank you. Um, so my question is um, in regards to the pebble in the shoe, <laughs> wondering where anger finds place in love and justice and kind of that interrelationship. Um, my question comes because I sit in the morning and I sit in the evening and I'm present with this um, mantra of no self. Mm -hmm. And then I leave my mat and I'm filled with New York's identity politics of being black and lesbian and intention and, 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 and speaking to what it means to live in this body, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it feels like there's this call to love um, and as well speaking to justice. And they feel like there is sometimes intention um, with the practice of what I understand meditation to be. And maybe that's where I want maybe clarity around where anger fits into that or does not fit into that. Mm -hmm. Do I seem angry to you? No. Do I seem angry to anyone? Do I seem angry to anyone? Yeah. So we are um, in a culture that is um, enamored of anger. Enamored of anger. Um, and that is because we do not have a a, 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 a sufficient motivating force that can propel us and keep us moving forward in the pursuit of love and justice. And so we turn to anger as a way in which to um, keep us motivated in that energy. But the, the, the energy of anger is useful in short bursts. Right? It, it's useful in short bursts. It kind of gets us up and moving and draws our attention, but it's also unsustainable. It's entirely unsustainable because it's fire and it's consuming. And fire is, my dad was a, a fireman, second generation black lieutenant. And one thing he would always tell me about fire, about, um, fire is... Um, 
it, it's like the, the way, like this they say in Taoism, it doesn't pick and choose. And so uh, when fire burns, it burns everything that's in its path, including oneself, including the container of that fire. And so anger is in that kind of an energy. However, however, being rooted in clarity of this is just so is equally motiv motivating and it's cool. And I said cool in that way because that's how I mean it. It's cool. <laughs> it's sustainable. The truth is sustainable. The truth of, well, not like my personal truth, the universal truth that is the Dharma, that things are connected. We are not separate. There is no inherent self-nature that, that is distinct from the arising of other self-nature. That I exist because you exist. I know my coloredness, my womanness, my blackness, my lesbianness, my Democrat, liberal, whatever it is that I am today because I recognize the things that you are. They're mutually co-arising. Our, our nature, our sense of identity is mutually co-arising with one another. And uh, you, you were pointing a little bit towards the notion of, right, the sort of like vast and open sense of love that one feels and practices uh, on the cushion. We call that like the absolute, right? And then, oh, body. <laughs> and uh, ordinary relative time and space where you actually bump up against those other identities and they're not actually all the same and they're not actually practicing that embracing, encompassing, fully liberated love. Yes. We are traveling in these vehicles, therefore we it's in these vehicles, these bodies, that we actually have to work towards practicing and expressing that love and compassion and wisdom in. And we, actu we get both things, which is uh, the opportunity to practice that and also the opportunity to rub up against the reality that not everyone is.
Thank you. Hi, uh, my name is Ken. Thank you for your teaching. Um, I intellectually, I guess you could say, completely agree with the idea of the idea of the dependent co-rising appeals to me, and the idea that we're inter interconnected appeals to me. But I have to be honest and say it's only in in my mind. Only I agree with it intellectually. But if you ask me. To be honest, I have only a sense of my being separate from everything. Mm. I only have a, it's in my, my, my gut, you know. I, I can't pretend otherwise, although I wish it were otherwise. But I only have a sense of being separate, mm -hmm. a separate entity from everyone and everything. I feel compassion for all living things, and I practice that. Uh, but... I have to confess that I only feel a separateness, and I would like to nurture a feeling of interconnectedness, but I don't honestly have it, and I don't know how to approach it and how to achieve that. Good thing you're here. Well, I come a lot, but I... Um, so to, to, be, to be honest with myself, I feel separate. Mm -hmm. Only a separateness, not an inter interconnectedness. And I would like to, you know, find out a pathway to, mm. to approach that other thing. Mm -hmm. So first of, first of all, you know, part of the challenge that um, there is in any kind of um, an aspiration to something that one has no um experience of right is that the aspiration itself is colored by the ignorance of the place that we're currently in and so we have essentially some kinds of fantasies about like what liberation will be like and what a feeling of connectedness will be like uh, that's not to say that you're you're experiencing them without knowing it i'm just offering that uh, be careful, right, to not construct an idea of what it what it will be like, right? We, it's easy for us to construct ideas of not only what liberation or in a sense of interconnectedness will feel like, but also like then what people will look like and do, like, you know, they'll float or, um, you know, not, not, say bad, not say bad words or something. I don't know, you know. We can get ideas about things. So just want to encourage people to, that if you're sort of waiting for, ah, that, that may not happen, right? That our experience... Um, and touch into the experience, the direct experience of interconnectedness may not be as we expect it. And it's very much like love. When you, when you touch it, you, you'll know it, right? Like no one could have expressed to you prior like what love is, is like. And when you were when you got there, it was like, oh, 
this is it. And somehow it's, you know, both never what you think it's going to be and it's absolutely uh, perfect as it is. Um, I go back to what I was saying in the beginning. What's awesome about this is that it is a practice. And the value of the practice is that it is a concrete way in which we continue to move towards the the inherent possibility of our liberation and our experience of interconnectedness. The value of the teachings is that it points the direction. Right? The, it's great to have something that helps us to actually have the experience, but if there's a sort of vast, wide open space and we don't know which direction we're going into, it helps to have a direction. And the teachings provide us with that opportunity. The teachings are, if we orient ourselves in that way, that what I'm getting out of this, ultimately, what I'm getting out of being here, ultimately, is to move towards the experience of interconnectedness. If on the other hand, what I'm getting out of here is like, oh, I'm, you know, I, I feel a little better about myself. I can, um, I identify myself as a meditator and that makes me a little bit better than everybody else because you know, they're out there not really doing anything and that's the orientation that we take, then that's where we're <laughs> headed towards until we course correct. So be patient. You have a lot more, all of us do. As I said about the culture, we have a lot more experience with separation than we do with interconnectedness. A great deal more. Um, and similarly to our society, there are structures that are in place actually to keep that exactly that way. And we are bombarded with messages of separation every single moment. So no one said it was easy. And no one said it was fast. But it is certainly a worthy undertaking. I think so. Oh, and one more thing. Just and in the meantime, be gentle with yourself. Yeah. Hi. Hi. I'm Becky. Hi. Thank you for teaching tonight. Um, you had talked earlier on when you were talking about love. You would you used the expression the willingness to see somebody, mm. and that when you noticed that you weren't willing, that that was a signal there was more work to do. 
what does that work look like? Like, do you understand what I'm saying? When, when that tightness arises. What does the work look like? Oh, I'm glad that you used the word tightness um, but because it looks exactly like softening. Uh, we, we all know what it's like um, living in a city in, in which there are uh, lots of people it's, that it's uh, easy to be averse to, right? Um, and culturally speaking, many of us are still actually quite uh, averse to homeless people, for instance. And, um, you know, I remember many years ago that I caught myself. You know, there I was, I was a good practitioner and I was, you know, on my little cushion and, you know, just like a, a monster about my practice. I could sit and I could sit and sit and sit and sit, with, you know, until my knees would bleed and <laughs> made me very special. Um, but there I was and, you know, someone asked me for um, money and I couldn't look at them, like really. You know, I did that sort of thing that we do where we sort of glaze, your eyes kind of glaze over and you generally turn your head their direction but you're not seeing them. And I took it up as a practice to be able to face someone that was facing me in whatever way they had available. They didn't have to face me with full 100% presence, but whatever way in which they were facing me, I took it up as a very specific practice to be able to face them in the truth of whatever it was that I had at the moment, which was, here is 25 cents, no, I don't have anything to give you right now, or I, I, I'm not. A, I'm not going to give you any. I'm not going to give you anything right now. I mean, there were increments to this practice because at some point I realized I was like, I don't have anything. No, that's not really true. <laughs> and so, just no, I'm sorry, or whatever it is. So one single-pointed, focused practice has dramatically changed my ability and willingness to see people, to uh, work on and feel through, and I think that that's what it looks like. It wasn't about seeing them, it was about being willing to feel what I was feeling when I saw them. Right? Thank you. I think we have time for just one more. I, 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 where did she go? I told her she has to keep me on track. Oh, there she is, walking around the mic. You have to reel me in, so, okay. I just wanted to offer one thought about connectedness. I've had recently the, um, the unasked for and gone into kicking and screaming experience of taking care of a, a relative who mm. had a stroke and he has nobody else, so I've been taking care of him. And of course it's interfered with my life and of course I wasn't very happy about it, but I'm, I'm doing it. And 
I've gotten the most incredibly beautiful lessons about being connected. I could talk for three hours about the connection with this particular person and helping him, but that's not the point. The point is on the street. And taking him on the street, in the walker, in this weather, and trying to get on a bus or trying to cross the street, and everybody helps. Everybody helps. It's the most amazing thing. Two kids are fighting and punching each other, and they stop to help this man and this idiot woman walk across the street in the snow. A woman in a walker who's not quite in as bad shape moves over in the bus to help him get on and then tells him how to close up the walker so he doesn't hurt himself. Over and over and over again, people of every color, every age, every bit of anger, sometimes they're angry at something going on, Sometimes they look like they're just oblivious. Sometimes they're just, you know, just, just every man. And that has given me an unbelievable lesson in connectedness. That is love. And I think that, I think that the connectedness is innate. It, it's, this is making me believe that it is inside. It doesn't matter what we're getting from the outside. It's there. It wants. We want to be connected somehow. Liberation is possible. Um, I think that was the last question of the evening. So I make my way through. Why don't we let him ask his question, if you don't mind, just gentlemen here. Yeah. Well. You stretch your arms so well. <laughs> I, uh, I don't feel like I want to be interconnected. <laughs> uh -huh. there, there, are, there are segments of the population, particularly here in New York, I, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling that. <laughs> so my struggle is, is, uh, Hopefully, hopefully I could I could take the A train, get off at 125th Street, call it interconnectedness, and I have arrived. But I know that's not going to happen. So uh, I'm. It's, it, I guess it's a statement. It's just a struggle for me. Mm -hmm. You know. Um, uh, I will not be a doormat for your stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I wonder what the Buddha would say about that. You know, we, we have an, an inclination to not only fantasize about um, the concepts of the teachings, but also to, to over-personalize them. And so when I say personalize, I mean personalize as in we have personal responsibility for them but we can tend to sort of fixate on a very um, individualist experience. It's part of our, over, our culture in general. So, folks, interconnectedness does not mean you're going to, like, whatever your 
political persuasion is, whatever your class distinction is, whatever ism you've got. Does it mean you're going to like run out and go start hugging on everyone and it's like, oh, we're all going to like have dinner at the same table? This is, this is almost, um, forgive me, this is like a childish way of thinking about it. Um, interconnectedness uh, in, in this way is in very much like the like liberation, like awakening that it is an experience that one touches into and then embodies that in in your everyday life it doesn't mean i'm now i'm going to go and sit down at the table with everyone i still get to make choices i get to have both the experience of i absolutely know that we are interconnected and i do not have to have dinner with you Right? That, that's not... But I don't disappear you because I don't wish to have dinner with you. I don't diminish you because I don't wish to have dinner with you, because I don't agree with you, because I see that you are continuing to express a form of or participation in a system of oppression or some kind of harm to the well to the, to me to the pe- to people to planet it's not naive it's not naive it's profound i'd have dinner with you though <laughs> So thank you, Reverend Angel, for being here tonight for your teachings. We really appreciate your presence. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.